Hello, American Prestige listeners. It's Derek, and I am joined once again by Hagai Matar. He's the executive director, a journalist and executive director of Plus 972 magazine. Uh, Hagai, this is the second time he, he's joined us, uh, been kind enough to, to give us his time since the October 7th attacks, uh, and uh, we're very grateful for it. So, Hagai, uh, welcome back to the show, and, and thank you for doing it. Thanks for having me back. So I want to get into uh, the political climate inside Israel. Uh, we're now over a month since the the October seventh attacks in southern Israel, which is which means we're over a month into the bombardment of and now ground incursion into Gaza. What is the sort of general feeling in Israel, and we can talk about specifics, you know, people's feelings about Benjamin Netanyahu, the, the hostage situation, but just kind of take people through what the, the climate is like. Things are still very volatile um, right now. Um, I think there's still a huge consensus in support of the war. Um Broadly speaking, um, the the kind of notion that we this is a time to stand together, to be united, to put all differences aside. There's a very popular campaign saying there is no left or right um, anymore. Like you know, so, so it's kind of you know we're all in this together, all supporting the troops, all justifying you know the eradication of Hamas. Like that's that's kind of almost a consensus in Jewish Israeli society. There are very few. Uh, dissenting voices in Jewish Israel society and, of course, Palestinian citizens. Uh, and those voices are being uh, really severely persecuted. And we can talk about that a little later if you want. But the vast majority is very much supportive. And I think that the, the places where we are seeing divisions are along two lines that are, to a certain degree, um, parallel. Um, one is the question of the hostages, some are saying, you know, yes, we want to eradicate Hamas, but the hostages are the top priority, even if that means a prolonged ceasefire, even if that means, you know, actually ending the war. But we need to uh, put that um, top of mind and negotiate their release. While others, you know, to the very extreme are saying, you know, we need to give up on the hostages and just, you know, take them for dead. Uh, and do whatever it takes, and there are a lot of positions in between. And then the other kind of breakdown is between the anti-Netanyahu and pro-Netanyahu camps. Uh, I think in the very first few weeks, it was kind of set aside. But as time goes by, you're seeing more and more people really going after Netanyahu. You're seeing an increased part of the population saying that we need to get rid of him even if the war is continuing, which in the beginning people were saying he has to go after the war. That was a position that got a lot of support. But then you're gradually seeing people say this war is not going to end well if he's in power. So we need to get rid of him now. Let's take those in turn and specifically to the hostages. I know there is now a march underway from Tel Aviv to Netanyahu's residence in Jerusalem by uh, the families that's uh, organized, led by the families of the hostages, uh, they've become a, a, a sort of, you know, m significant player in all of this. Can you talk a little bit more about what what they're saying and what the response has been from the Israeli government? Sure. So, so basically, what they're saying is whatever it takes. There was a deal 
between you know any citizens of any country and their state where you know whatever happens it's definitely the state's responsibility to take care of our safety and that deal has been broken like the government has failed us um we have paid a very very dear price and bear in mind that the families of the hostages many of them have themselves uh been barricaded in their homes have been while well, Hamas was attacking their homes uh have been wounded have had other families family members killed um so so this isn't you know people who only lost one person to to this hostage situation uh but they've actually many of them been through uh hell and back and they're saying all of this has happened the least you can do to make it right is do everything to bring them back and they are and i think interestingly both them and other um many bereaved families um are right now the clearest voices in Jewish Israeli society that are criticizing the government because everyone else is kind of forbidden from doing that you organize a small vigil of five people with signs saying you know ceasefire now you'll get arrested immediately um and probably badly beaten as well but if you're the families of the hostages and bereaved families you basically have license to say whatever you want on the Netanyahu front uh, i'm curious what the sense is of of who's in charge at this point Netanyahu obviously but he's appointed this war cabinet he's brought Benny Gantz in uh to serve in that and yet at the same time the normal israeli cabinet is also still out there so when you have somebody like Betzalel Smotrich you know releasing a statement endorsing shipping everybody in Gaza to the west and you know uh, ethnically cleansing the area and and making them all refugees and Western countries. Does that get a lot of attention at this point? Like, are people paying attention to what what Smotrich and uh, Inamar Ben Gvir are doing? You know, those those are the, that kind of faction within the the cabinet, or is the focus really more on the war cabinet and and the decision making there? I think mistakenly the focus is more in the war cabinet, while they are the ones kind of leading the actual war in Gaza. Like that's that's true. Um, and kind of the regional front and all of that, Smotrich and Benvir have been very, very active in uh, both the West Bank and kind of building up uh, settlement violence and settlement attacks on Palestinians in the West Bank. And Benvir is really working hard at trying to um, start internal violence within Israel between Jewish Israeli and Palestinian uh, citizens. He's been giving out thousands of assault rifles to citizens across the country. Um, there's been some reporting about the, kind of the, the standards of the process of giving people weapons. Uh, a reporter went to one of these kind of trainings, and it's like four hours. Someone comes in, they have no experience using a weapon. They sh- miss all their shots, and still you have like 100% of people out with a gun out of that. Um, so, so there's a lot of talk about the dangers of having so many uh, weapons out there, unlike the US, you know, Israel um, has a slightly better culture of, of uh, access to weapons. And this is just being destroyed uh, by Ben Gvir. And I think the ramifications, both on kind of domestic violence and accidents using guns and 
on the potential of kind of these Jewish militias that Ben Gvir is setting up, attacking Palestinian citizens and leftists, the consequences can be very, very dire. And all of this is getting not enough attention. That's that's interesting because the way it's covered in the West, the, the the rifle program that I've seen, it's all like, oh, these are combat veterans. They all know what they're doing. They know how to use a gun. They have training. And, and so that's interesting to uh, to hear that uh, perspective. Let's get into some of the media restrictions. And there's two uh, parts of this that I want to talk about. One is sort of just the crackdown on ordinary people for you know looking at something on social media or for waving a placard that doesn't meet with the the authorities you know specifications but let's start with what's happening with organized media and how and, and what restrictions are coming down uh, i think the these the government just shut down al-mayadeen which is uh, you know sort of affiliated with hezbollah it's lebanese it's got some uh questions i guess about that but uh, what what in general has been the the sort of um, I- interaction or the, the the restrictions that have come down in terms of media access and and reporting? So I think there are different levels to to answering that. Like first, if you look at Gaza itself, um, over thirty three uh, Palestinian journalists have been killed by Israel in Gaza, um, and Israel is preventing outside journalists from coming into Gaza right now. So I think that's kind of the main serious restriction, unless they kind of go on, go on a tour with, with soldiers. Um, right, I think CNN got to do a ride along uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. within the last couple of days. So it's that kind of thing, very embedded, you know, Iraq war embedded uh, media type of thing. Totally, totally, exactly. So so other than that, all we have is Palestinian reporters and, and they're, being killed at a very troubling rate. Antonio Gutierrez uh, recently said that this is the most journalists killed in a violent conflict in over 30 years. So so it's it's quite horrifying. Within Israel itself, we're seeing persecution of uh, Palestinian citizens that, that are journalists um, and a little bit of um, crews of foreign journalists, especially in the West Bank, actually. Um, that are being stopped and harassed and sometimes detained by soldiers. Um, and within Israel, it's by police. So we're seeing some kind, I wouldn't say it's a crackdown, but it's an ongoing harassment um, of journalists that is kind of intimidating. Um, and there's the shutting down of El Mayadin, which, like you said, you know, it is affiliated with kind of Assad and Hezbollah. So that is the very specific context of, of that move. I wouldn't say that that is kind of what's happening through across the board. Um, with the rest of the media, I mean, we, for example, can do basically whatever we want. The, the one limitation is the military censorship. It's always there. It's not just now. All media outlets in Israel have to file reports with the military censor in advance. Military censors uh, are standing inside TV studios and they're able to kind of pull the plug if they're not happy with something that, that they're seeing. But, you know, most of Israeli media is very, very, very compliant and basically kind of just repeating what the IDF spokesperson says uh, quite uncritically. So they don't really need to do anything to them. Do you envision the possibility as this goes on that more 
Arab outlets in particular could wind up, uh, you know, being treated like Al Mayadeen. I know, you know, they, they sort of specifically, there was some specific mention of Al Jazeera as having like escaped the ban, uh, when Al Mayadeen was, was banned. But, but the implication of that is it could, you know, could happen later if we decide, you know, we decide to do this. Do you, do you envision more of that, um, happening? You know, if things continue uh, for long enough and, and, you know, maybe the situation in Gaza starts to look even grimmer than it is right now. Yeah, well, I, I think that is the main question. I'm hoping that, and this is a terrible thing to hope for, but that it's that within three to four weeks, this phase of the war will be over. I don't know what comes next, but I think there's just only so much Israel can push this ongoing um, massacre in in Gaza, and having like you know two million people without access to water and food. I mean, there's just so long that this can take. I fear that the longer it does take, and the more, and if and if it kind of Israel ends this phase of the war and goes into a different kind of phase of a slightly more sustainable war, uh, and I think that's what Netanyahu is aiming for. It will open up possibilities to deepen the persecution inside of Israel. So yes, other outlets might face risks. And not just that, I mean, we need to remember, like, this is a government that for the first uh, nine months of its operation was facing severe criticism for its attacks on all kind of liberal institutions within Israel. Um, it can go back to doing that with much less resistance at this moment. Um, I hope we will see resistance if that happens. But right now, as long as the, the, the situation in Gaza is continuously terrible, uh, they have much more leeway. So it is troubling. Let's talk about what's happening to, to individuals, to people who are being arrested for social media activity, being arrested, as you say, for uh, even small demonstrations that are uh, calling for ceasefire or peace. Um, can you give people just a sort of overall picture? M many people have probably seen videos of uh, Palestinian Israelis being, you know, picked up because, you know, you they liked something on Twitter or, you know, just, you know, kind of very draconian seeming things happening. Can you can you give people a sense of, of where that's gone in the past few weeks? Sure. Yeah. So like ever since the, the war started, we're, we're seeing um, we've seen over, I think it's over 130 people by now arrested for um, social media posts or likes. Some of them, um, you know, are actually supporting Hamas, uh, but others, many, many others um, are just about, you know, and occupation or our heart goes to our, you know, uh, family in Gaza or, you know, ceasefire now or you know, something quite benign. Um, so, so this is a very, very extreme crackdown and it's multifaceted. It's like in arrests, but also in universities where students and faculty are being suspended, sometimes kicked out of the university entirely, in workplaces where people are losing their jobs for being even suspected of doing something wrong, the, just a small example, two cashiers in a grocery store were suspended because it was argued that they were clapping in support of Hamas when there was a, a siren, when in, in all actuality, they were trying to get people's attention and direct them to the shelter. 
and the management acknowledged that and still suspended them because you can't have someone saying your workers, your Arab workers are supporting Hamas and you don't do anything about it. Um, so this has mostly been Palestinian citizens. Uh, last Thursday, we saw the leaders of um, the Palestinian citizens community trying to organize a very small vigil that was kind of invite only. They asked people not to come. It was only leaders, so no one can say this is going to be a mob and it's going to escalate. A very hand-picked list of people, and they were all detained um, on their way to that protest, just calling for a ceasefire. That evening, there were two protests in Tel Aviv and Jerusalem um, outside police stations where people were saying no to the silencing, not even, you know, calling for a ceasefire, just like, you know, stop the silencing campaign. And 20 people were arrested and many of them were beaten there. So that's that's where we're at right now. What are the potential ramifications for people who are arrested under these circumstances? And I'm, you know, we could talk about maybe the different repercussions that could be facing Jewish Israelis versus Palestinian Israelis. And I particularly, you know, Palestinian Israelis who could be facing being stripped of citizenship or, you know, at the maximum extent, what are what are the things that they could be looking at as a result of, of being picked up under these conditions? So about citizenship, that, that's been mentioned. Legally, it is very difficult to strip someone of their citizenship. There's a new bill that might make it through the Knesset uh, that would make it slightly easier. Um, but I do think that that is not something we're going to be seeing a lot of. Um, but the ramifications, I think, are, are on the entire community. I mean, just today I was talking to um, a friend, a Palestinian friend, and like so many other people, she said, you know, we're back to the days of the military regime that was enforced on Palestinian citizens from 1948 to 1966. And the feeling was, post-1966, that there's this ongoing trend toward, you know, laxer, limitations and people having the ability to speak out and you know go out and demonstrate if they want and vote for whatever leaders they want and the feeling right now is that that's no longer an option uh two members of knesset representing palestinian society today were suspended by the knesset's ethics committee for you know saying the wrong things according to the other members of knesset about October 7th, um, and and what the army is doing in Gaza. So the feeling is that the space of political expression has gone from, you know, 80 to zero just immediately. So the, the overall ramification on society, just people being afraid and silenced, uh, I think is the worst part of this. Haggai, I know you've got... Um, other obligations, so I don't want to keep you uh, much longer. Maybe we could just end with um, a question. You sort of alluded to this earlier, talking about where Netanyahu is is heading here in, in a next phase of this operation. But what have been the conversations about what happens in Gaza the day after this is all over? Like, what is the what is the status quo going to be or envisioned to be uh, in an end game situation? We really don't know. Um, I mean, the one thing we have from Netanyahu is Israel is going to be responsible for security in Gaza for the long run, for years. Now, 
what does that mean, like responsible for security in Gaza? Do you think that there's any potential leadership government in the world that would take on kind of managing the humanitarian catastrophe left in Gaza after this war, but that that, you know, would be restricted to, you know, exclusively to civilian matters uh, while the army continues, you know, bombarding or arresting or attacking people there. It's just not viable, which I think is, is why people are concerned about the ability of Netanyahu to actually end the war. Um, other options that have been discussed, like, you know, an international force coming in, um, or I think most realistically, not extremely realistic, but most realistically, is some sort of arrangement where the Palestinian Authority comes in and start man- starts managing things with some sort of kind of behind the scenes, yet quite well known coordination with Hamas. I think that's the most realistic option. Uh, and the one that would lay the path for negotiations and peace. But again, look, we have a government that doesn't want negotiations or peace right now. So so uh, continuous, intense level of violence is what it looks like in one way or another for the foreseeable future. Hagai Matar, Plus 972 Magazine. Thank you again so much for coming on the program uh, for paid subscribers. Danny's going to be joining me in a moment, and we will do a little news update for you guys. Uh, so please stay tuned for that. But hi, guy, again, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.